the election coverage or taking half an hour to talk to our tiny little YouTube audience. Uh, we owe you a million. I mean, it's all good. It's all good. No, thank you sincerely. All right. We are ready to go. Hello, and welcome to episode 32 of On Liberty, coming to you live from the Center for Independent Studies in Sydney, Australia. I'm your host, Sal Bonus. My guest today is roving reporter James Morrow, opinion editor at the Daily Telegraph and co-host of Outsiders on Sky News. James joins us from the war zone that is the United States at election time. James Morrow, welcome to On Liberty. Great to be here, Salvador. And where are you specifically? Right now, I'm in uh, New York City, New York City's Flatiron District. Um, so, look, are we in Australia waking up to a Joe Biden America? What, what is the sense in the United States about? Is the election over? The sense right now that the Trump camp is very much um, of the position that they still have a way through on this. Um, but it's going to be very tough. They think that there are votes left uncounted in Arizona that will turn that state. They think that they can get Pennsylvania. They think that with challenges, they can get Michigan and Wisconsin. If they do, they'll get it. But of course, you know, that means if they do get it, it's going to be for, 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 for four years. We're going to be hearing about how illegitimate they are. We saw it uh, the last time around. It'll be the last time around, but just, you know, even worse. Um, but I want to make one more point, though. Um, you know, for all of that, though, and this is where I think, you know, a lot of the listeners who might be on this uh, webcast will find it interesting. Republicans did really, really well. Um, this was not a blowout against the Republican Party. This was not a blowout against, um, you know, center-right politics, conservative politics by any stretch. Um, in fact, um, the Republicans look set to con continue to control the Senate. Um, it does look like they've picked up a number of seats in the House of Representatives. Um, in state houses, they seem to have picked up uh, in state legislatures, done very well in a number of states. This is going to actually have some real important um, impacts in terms of uh, like redistricting uh, and things like that. There's a lot of sort of machinery of government things that will flow very handily to, to the Republicans and all of this. So, you know, there are bits, you know, there is, of course, the disaster for the Republicans if Biden, you know, wins and in fact mm -hmm. for the whole country, because to be honest, I think that, you know, a Biden presidency is uh, going to cripple the recovery that's been ongoing. Uh, it will see higher taxes. Um, it will see uh, a, a hit to manufacturing jobs. It will see the imposition of a Green New Deal. You know, I spent a lot of time last week in Pennsylvania traveling through fracking country and everybody there was absolutely terrified of what he would do to energy jobs in that part of the world. So, you know, he will do that. And I think that on the international stage, um, you know, you don't need to know any more about this than you, if you look at a chart of what the Chinese Yuan did yesterday on the foreign exchange markets. And when um, it looked pretty clear for a moment that Trump was going to win, the yuan dropped absolutely off a cliff and oh, wow. suggesting that, you know, the Chinese really you know were banking China, that Biden was the Chinese candidate. Trump wasn't. So, you know, you have essentially the Chinese candidate uh, in your know, Chinese preferred candidate in the White House. What this means for Pacific security, um, I will leave others who are more expert in that to speculate upon. However, I would say that it makes Australia's position over the long range more precarious. And I would say that it probably makes the position of our dear friends in Taiwan uh, similarly less secure. 
Let me rewind a minute to the broader election outcome, because everyone focuses on the presidential race, naturally enough. And uh, we all know the polls were wrong. If you want to know how wrong they were, go to my Sydney Morning Herald, <laughs> my Sydney Morning Herald uh, op-ed today about the polls being wrong. Can but, I plug? Can I plug? Can I plug my plug, Daily plug, Telegraph plug away. today about the real? <clears throat> the real enemies of liberty and democracy and why that's actually not Donald Trump. So have a look at that in today's Daily Telegraph as well. <laughs> Everyone, please pick up both newspapers today. Uh, but James, the the big story to me is that, you know, Congress, uh, we were talking, not we personally, but people were talking a few days ago about a democratic wave that would sweep the Senate into Democratic hands that would reinforce the Democratic position in the House of Representatives that would enable a Biden presidency to pack the Supreme Court, because if he had control of Congress, they could add as many yeah. Supreme Court justices as they want. None of that happened. In fact, it seems, I mean, I've, uh, do you know how many seats the uh, Republicans are expected to gain in the House, which is a uh, I think five shock. in the House at the moment. Okay. Five in the House at the moment, and so, um, but uh, but the important thing is Senate control, and as you say, um, that's really, really, really important because again, it means that there won't be. Um, this puts a huge and remember, like the founders of the United States, Salvatore, as you would know, um, you know, really wanted a system of checks and balances, um, and they, uh, you know, in some sort of perverse way, this may actually get us back to that sort of thing. You know, I think it's really ironic that the Democrats who spent so much time you know, banging on about how, oh, Trump is violating norms. He's violating all the norms of, you know, government, all this. Then as soon as, you know, things started to, you know, look pear-shaped for them early this year, it was like, well, we may as well, you know, create two more states and the filibuster, uh, you know, <laughs> add a bunch of Supreme Court I forgot justices, about the new you know, states. and, uh, yeah. and uh, get rid of the Electoral College, you know, because, um, because as always, you know, with the, the hard radical left, they don't, um, you know, they can never get their agenda through, you know, fair and square at the ballot box. <laughs> the interesting thing, though, on that, too, is there's also a potential realignment. Like, you know, like everybody says Trump drove things to change. No, he just simply, you know, exposed things that were wrong and the change that was going to naturally happen just happened faster. Um, <coughs> pardon me. Um, so I think that, the, you know, an interesting thing is that the Republican Party has now absolutely definitively become the um, the party of the the little guy, the worker, the small businessman, um, and we now see you know quite definitively that the Republican that the Democrat Party, um, far from being the labor orientated party uh, in the United States, uh, is now quite definitively uh, after this election the party of um, big business, uh, big capital, big tech, and the professional services classes that service them, uh, as well as a sort of um, a helotic kind of welfare class at the bottom, uh, which creates these sort of feudal situations, sort of neo-feudal situations that Joel Kotkin talks about in places like um, San Francisco. Um, so, you know, with all of that, um, you know, there's, there's a real interesting realignment. And what this could do, what, what this will do, actually, um, you know, 60-some million people voted for Trump yesterday, okay? Um, they're not going anywhere. They can get rid of Trump. But they're not going to get rid of Trump voters. You know, this is not Bertolt Brecht's poem about the Stalin Allee. We cannot, you know, dissolve the populace and elect a new one as much as, you know, the 1619 Project wing of the Democratic Party would like to do so. Um, so they're going to have to make some sort of modus vivendi with them. And I suspect the Democrats will split between kind of the radical uh, intersectional politics, critical race theory, 1619 Project wing on one side and the sort of the you know, a more traditional um, democratic labor, um, sort of the social democrat tradition um, 
wing. And that's going to be a huge internal tension because the Republicans have really, I think, and Trump saw that there was a huge opportunity to peel those voters off a Democratic Party that no longer cared about them. And I think he did it you know, in the same way, really, ultimately, even though they were two very different people for a number of reasons, but it did in very much the same way that uh, Ronald Reagan recognized that that opportunity was there in uh, 1979, 1980, um, with um, socially conservative working class Democrat voters who were sick and tired of sort of loose libertine 1970s liberal politics. Right. Uh, we're going to have to have a bit of a short show today because we are taking James away from uh, big time TV news coverage of the election. He's given us half an hour. We really appreciate it. That means it's time now for everyone watching to you know press the like button, uh, thumbs up on the video, subscribe to the channel, of course. We'd love to have your contributions always. I won't give the usual pitch for money. Uh, we will start taking your questions, so please get those into the questions box. And James, I'm going to lead off with a question from Christopher. Is this the Trump paradox that he energizes the Republican base but alienates too many mainstream voters? Would Pence have won more easily against Biden? I don't know that Pence would have won more easily against Biden, but I do think that, uh, that there is a very good point to be made in that Pence was a hugely underused asset uh, by the Trump campaign. And I think we all saw that in that vice presidential debate where Pence, you know, very gracefully, very graciously, very politely um, filleted uh, Kamala Harris uh, and, you know, really just showed her up to be, you know, not much there there. And that's a big worry there. We can talk about that later. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I think that it would have been a smart strategy perhaps for Trump to use Pence more as kind of a yin to his yang, you know, mm -hmm. so for everybody who was scared and nervous about, like, I like Trump's policies, but he's a bit crazy and loose on the tweets. But, you know, you give them a bit of Pence and they say, oh, here's the guy who feels like he's the solid guy right out of central casting who is um, who's a, uh, you know, very presidential person to kind of counterweight the kind of the sort of the looseness, the tweetness, the, t the tweetness, that's a new word I just made up, um, the <laughs> tweets um, and uh, and all of that. I think the Pence was an underutilized asset. Um, and I do suspect that come 2024, uh, Christopher, who asked the question, will have uh, a fairly interesting time because I suspect to watch because I think, uh, you know, Pence is an absolute lock as a potential nominee uh, to be up for it um, come the next time around. Well, let me give my quick shout outs to Anthony, Cameron, Elizabeth, Suresh, uh, Christopher, all thank you for watching. Please do get your questions in. You mentioned 2024, James. Is Trump going to pull a Grover Cleveland? Well, that's what everybody is talking about. And I mean, you know, look, it's not unheard of. He would be old, but he seems pretty vigorous. I was out there watching him at a campaign stop in Scranton the day before the election. He'd done you know, five rallies a day before he'd done two more that morning. He did that one and then two more there after. And he's a very vigorous guy. Um, so if he stays, you know, well, I could sort of potentially see him making another play for it, but he might have to do it as an independent. Um, but that said, you know, we've seen, you know, Churchill came back, Cleveland came back, Menzies came back. You know, it's not uh, unheard of in Democratic Party politics uh, for that right. to happen. Now, we usually in American politics associate a massive voter turnout with a Democratic victory and even a Democratic Party sweep. That is, in general, the, the, the I don't know if it's statistically true, but the received wisdom is that high turnout favors the Democrats. Yet we saw unprecedented turnout. I mean, unprecedented for 120 years in this election. Uh, yet 
no Democratic wave, if anything, uh, Republicans. So yeah, seem so, to the have Repu- so, out, so, so you know, the election day vote um, was hugely um, Republican, um, you know, and that's what the Trump campaign was all about because they had to bring home enough votes, but it doesn't look like they may have done that. Bring home enough votes to counter this huge absentee mail-in um, ballot, frankly, ballot harvesting. And I'll be really honest with you. Some of this feels pretty fishy to me. Um, I do not think that the um, that the um, oh, how do I put it? I, I just I, a lot of this doesn't feel right. Um, you know, some of the numbers I'm seeing out of Michigan, where, for example, they just suddenly found a tranche of a hundred and some thousand ballots that were all entirely marked for Biden. That feels odd to me. Some of the turnout numbers in some of the counties feel very high to me, um, and. Frankly, you know, I know that between a conspiracy and a cock-up, choose the cock-up, but it feels very odd to me that, you know, at a time when, you know, Trump was leading in all of these heavily Democratic areas, they suddenly, oh, stop the count all at the same time, and then, bing, we wake up, you know, fourth in the morning, oh, look at this, look at all these Democrat votes we just found. It just... I think that that this needs to be looked at. I think that Australians should, no system is perfect, but it is amazing to me that there isn't some sort of American equivalent to the Australian Electoral Commission that oversees all this. You've got 50 states with complicated, sloppy rules, all making different rules, um, a very creaky bureaucracy. Um, You know, it's... And it's, you know, it's interesting. Florida did it really, really well. They counted the votes as they came in. We had a result on the night. Pennsylvania acted like, oh, well, you know, oh, well, where did this come from? An election? Well, who who said there was going to be an election? Oh, my God, we've got to count all these votes. You know, they had four years to prepare for this, you know. And, and to clarify for Australian listeners, the real controversy is not over solicited absentee <laughs> ballots where people say, I can't come Correct. to the polls, please send me a ballot. It's over unsolicited ballots, which could be sitting on the floor in your apartment complex in the mailroom uh yeah that yeah yeah i mean so, so it's, it's no not, it is not it is not right. you know salvador Bobona says you know please send me a ballot i will not be able to vote on the day and then write that in or james morrow i will be in sydney i won't be there please send me a ballot you know that's it but it's these mail so basically the you know um some of these states sending out um ballots like they were you know like in the old days when they would send credit cards out to people you know almost and uh, i have I have real concerns about that, but I'm going to go to our viewer questions first. Uh, Chris asks, if Biden does win, what do you think will happen, if anything, regarding the Hunter Biden laptop scandal? Well, if Biden, if, if, if uh, Joe Biden wins, um, I don't think we'll ever hear the word Hunter again. <laughs> really? Not even from the Senate or Senate investigations? Um, look, I just feel like it's... Uh, you know, that's going to be a dead duck for them. Um, you know, oh, we might see, oh, look, we, sorry, that's not entirely fair. The Senate might, the Senate may try and get something out about it, but it's going to be so hard because, as I say, the media tries to squelch every um, mention of the Hunter Biden laptop. And so, you know, there is an FBI investigation ongoing, but the FBI will have to come up with something quite smoking on that. But as we know, the FBI itself, you know, has a fairly anti-Trump uh, faction in it. We know this from right. everything we know about Comey and everything else. So I hate to say it, but the FBI itself is pretty politicized, you know, which is a real shame. I mean, this is this is the United States and this should be, you know, a beacon of, of impartiality and justice. Um, but, you know, look, we know from everything that's come out from how the Mueller investigation was conducted um, and everything that happened before that, um, you know, with Crossfire Hurricane and everything else, that um, that it wasn't. 
Well, Sam is giving us the opportunity to go more deeply into the mail-in ballots, the postal ballots and ballot <laughs> harvesting, quote unquote. He's asking, is that a genuine uh, opportunity for manipulation uh, or are we just talking? You know, no, there have, there have been, look, there have been, it's absolutely an opportunity for manipulation and it's also an opportunity for confusion. Um, in uh, the ninth congressional district of the United, of, of, of New York City, New York uh, earlier this year, they held a primary to determine who would be the candidate for that, uh, for one party's congressional district and and it took six weeks to sort it out so there's a huge amount of confusion in new jersey there have been um, arrests and local elections invalidated because of mail-in ballot fraud um there have been other uh things where we have seen mail-in ballots um you know just found different places so you know like i know that there's a there's a strong impulse and we all want to just think oh look that's just a bit of a you know bit of a red herring or a furphy or whatever you want to call it. But, um, you know, there is just too much stuff out there to say um, that it's not something to be worried about. All right. Rapid fire questions. We know you have to go. Anthony, to what extent have minorities, African-Americans, Mexican-Americans, Jewish-Americans voted for Donald Trump? Uh, I don't know about the Jewish Americans. I do know that there was a small uptick in uh, Black American vote. Big uptick in a lot of counties uh, in Latino voters. Um, Latinos okay. came home in Florida, uh, Arizona for Trump as well, um, and in places in Arizona that uh, Hillary Clinton won really, really handily four years ago. You know, it's interesting. Um, the, it's so funny because you know the the, the media goes, um, you know, oh, you know, this is terrible. You know. Um, Donald Trump's a right wing strong man, you know, and a lot of Latino voters who come from places where, you know, that uh, that sort of bottle of governance was used to put down socialist uh, policy say that's not such a bad idea, actually. Um, you know, so there's an appreciation for the Trump style, I think, uh, there. Um, and it's part also that coalition where, um, you know, a Latino who is, um, you know, voter who will have a lot more in common with, you know, fellow working class people across whatever ethnic lines than they will with the sort of the, um, you know, intersectional critical race theory people who are telling them that they should vote uh, Democrat because, you know, of some sort of, I don't know, colonialism or whatever. All right. Patrick asks, will Democratic Party corruption be exposed post-election? And if yes, will there be consequences for them? Um, I would like to say yes, but my fear is that it will be no. All right. Uh, I'm going to ask a question. Australia is famous for the Australian ballot, which is the secret ballot that we all know and embrace. To what extent does postal balloting, especially unsolicited postal balloting and this vote harvesting, uh, if you could explain vote, har vote harvesting to people, to what extent does that compromise the whole idea of the secret ballot? Well, if it's a vote harvesting operation where they're just going out and telling people, you know, giving people their ballots and telling them mark it here and, you know, send it in, you know, then actually that gets us back to the sort of the old days when, um, right. you know, union officials or whatever would, you know, tell everybody, here's how you mark it, here's how you mark it, here's how you mark it, and check everybody's ballot before they put it in. That's actually the sort of behavior that the Australian ballot uh, was designed to counter. Right. Tony's asking, do you think there's any reason to believe that uh, the deep state in some sense, the deep state, the uh, NSA, may have infiltrated the election process this year? The NSA, look, I think that that's, um, uh, I don't have any reason to see that. I think that uh, whatever corruption has taken place will have taken place uh, by local officials, local Democrats uh, operating um either off of their own bat or with some sort of coordination within a political party or organization. But but I don't see um, I don't see at this point uh, fingerprints of 
a uh, of an organization like the NSA. However, that being said, um, the NSA is probably pretty good at not leaving f fingerprints. So, <laughs> final question: Will the Republicans retake the House of Representatives in twenty twenty two? Quite possibly, yes. <laughs> All right, James Morrow, thanks a million for joining us today. We thanks really everybody for tuning in. I really appreciate it. I got to run, but um, tune in to Sky News. You'll see me in five minutes. <laughs> Great, thanks, James. Thanks to our okay. producer Emily Holmes, our executive producer Max Hawk Weaver, director of the CIA's Tom Switzer. Next week, Emily Die. Hope you see us then. <laughs>